What's up, everybody? We're back again. Podcast number two, WLRN Sports. And today we have a few topics that we're going to talk about, and I'll let my uh, partner, Nick Formby, tell you about those. So first off, we're going to start with the Super Bowl 54 results. If you watched the game or not, it was Chiefs won 31-20. Patrick Mahomes was named the MVP. He was 26-42 of 42 for 286 passing yards and two passing touchdowns, 29 rushing yards and also a rushing touchdown. And he becomes the youngest quarterback to ever be named Super Bowl MVP. I'll bring it over to my co-host, Jake. But watching the first half of the game, Mahomes looked terrible. And he looked like he was not ready for the Super Bowl. And just to see that comeback, they came back in all three of their playoff games by 10 points or more. So it's just crazy to see that comeback potential. Yeah, Mahomes really, first half wasn't doing anything. He wasn't shining, but he turned it around in the second half which really helped the Chiefs out there. But he's all, like Nick said, youngest player to be named Super Bowl MVP and league MVP, which we can see is a bright future for him. We also believe that he broke the Madden curse, which is like a curse on players like Antonio Brown and all the uh, cover players. But as him being the cover player and winning a Super Bowl, we could see uh, uh, another good year and another run for the Chiefs next year. Everybody thought with Palms is definitely the best quarterback in the league. But after seeing that comeback, I think – he sets up the potential to have a dynasty in there in KC. And I saw this poll on who do you predict will be the 2020 to 2030 decade male athlete of the year. And Mahomes, this was all sports. And Mahomes took like 60% of all the votes. And it just shows how people believe in him and think he's up next, kind of just like Tom Brady. Yeah, Mahomes definitely could be Tom Brady, but he's an evolutionary player for the NFL just with what he can do throwing-wise and running-wise, and he's like that field general leader who you want on your team. So 20 to, yeah, 20, 30 decade player of the year definitely could be him if he continues to go on with his career like this. Next up, we're going to talk about the NBA All-Star Game 2020 hosted in Chicago. Uh, so Team LeBron and Team Giannis, it switched over from a west-to-east format a couple of years ago. So instead of that, there's captains, and they choose captain picks, and they just go like a draft. First off, though, I really want to start with the snubs. Normally, you don't hear about the snubs this much because it's east and west, but with the picks, you kind of see a lot more snubs. <clears throat> so first off, Bradley Beal of the Wizards. He's averaging 29 points, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists. And I feel like it's just because his team is really bad. But then you look at Trey Young and his Atlanta Hawks. At the All-Star break, they were 15-21, and 21, and he was an All-Star game starter. So I feel like to base it on how your team is doing is very unrealistic. So I feel like that's a big, big snub. And the first game after the selections were announced, he dropped like 39 points, I saw. And they interviewed him, and he didn't even want to talk about it, which I feel just shows how he really got screwed over there. I feel like for sure Bradley Bill being snubbed isn't very, like, it just shows that anything can happen in the league and that being an all-star doesn't mean as much because stats like that don't, it doesn't like base off how your team is. If you can put up the stats and put up the numbers, then you should definitely be an all-star with how you play. It shouldn't base, be based off like how your team does or what the standings are like. But I feel like Bradley Beal being snubbed is sort of like Aaron, Gonte or Aaron Gordon losing the dunk contest when he really should have won because the dunks he does and like what he does and how like athletic he is shows that, like I don't know, maybe there's some home cooking there with D. Wade, but he shouldn't have been snubbed from the dunk contest either. Yeah, I agree. And with the like the Devin Booker and the Bradley Beal and the obviously Trey Young made the All Star game, but I feel like you can't base it on how bad your team is because 
uh, Justin Simmons of the Denver Broncos. Like, how can you be a first-team all-pro safety, which the league decides, but not be an all-star? So I feel like the all-star voting, since 50% of it is done by the fans, I feel like it shows just the popular players, not the true. I'd rather win an NBA championship than be an all-star, is something Devin Booker said in the past. And I feel like it just shows the all-star game isn't really the best players on the court. It's who the fans know and fans think are the best players on the court. Yeah, I feel that the all-star game definitely is more fan-based than player-based because if you're someone that is well-known in your city, like Trey Young or someone, or like Chris Middleton in Milwaukee, just the players know them. It's not our, the fans know them. Like the players, everybody knows like who the best players are, are in the NBA. And if the players voted on it more and the NBA voted on it more than just like the fans, I feel like a lot of you wouldn't see a lot of snubs. Like, and then a lot of people like Chris Middleton and Trey Young might have not made it this year. Definitely. And then two other notable snubs, Zach Levine, who's averaging 25, 5, and 5, and DeMar DeRozan. He's averaging 23, 6, and 5, and he's shooting over 55% from the field, which is really impressive. So the All-Star game, Team LeBron won. The new format they did is they went by quarters for the first three, so you could win a quarter. And then the last quarter was first to 24 points, in which Team LeBron beat Team Giannis on a free throw by Anthony Davis. And noticing that last quarter, it was so competitive, like... Normally, it's just like the first three quarters were a joke, just like letting people run in the lane and dunk. But seeing how serious it was, I feel like the new format is really competitive. And like there's no time limit. The, the last like point, last three points took like probably 10, 15 minutes just because it was so competitive. And they were playing defense. So I feel like the new format is definitely something to take a look at. I definitely like the new format for sure. I feel like it brings back a new a new level of the All-Star game that we've been missing for a while and it makes it a lot more interesting to watch and I feel that if they continue this format with maybe some adjustments about the, how you can win on a free throw and such that the all-star game will continue to only get better especially with the all-star weekend going before that and all the events which is really cool. Now taking a look at all-star break we're just going to talk about some NBA standings. What do you think about the West? Who do you think's really impressing you and who's kind of letting you down? Well, I think that the Lakers and the Nuggets, those are definitely the two best teams in the West, but you can never count the Clippers out. But a team that uh, really is like impressing me is the Oklahoma City Thunder because everyone expected them to be bad. But sitting at the 60 right now at 33-22, and 22, they're really making a, uh, like some noise. They're letting people know that just because they don't have a big star name on their team it doesn't mean they can't be good. And they just do a lot of the role things and the key things, like the fundamental things that are just uh, leading them up to be in the sixth seed right now, and hopefully they can continue this and just get better. Yeah, they're only one game back of the Rockets, who obviously traded for Russell Westbrook. And I know I know if I, the Nuggets were to drop down to the fourth seed or something like that, I wouldn't want to play that Oklahoma City team. They've got so many veterans combined with some young players with huge potential, like Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and stuff like that. I definitely think the Lakers' just matchup problems are going to be a nightmare for anybody. They're way bigger than the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Jazz, and the Rockets. But like, there's teams like the Rockets, they're dangerous in the playoffs. Because if Westbrook and Harden drop 80 points together, there's not much you can do about that. Uh, definitely the team's disappointing, the Portland Trailblazers. They made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals last year after they beat the Nuggets in seven. And now to be not even in the playoff race right now, 
It's shocking. I feel like they will make a late season push, especially with Lillard, Carmelo, and McCollum, but still they're kind of disappointing. So if they can sneak into an eight seed or possibly a seven seed, that'd be st- they'd still be a scary team. Now we're going to take it over to the East, and we're just going to look at some of the records there with the Bucks leading the way, only eight losses on the season, 46 wins. The Raptors still being good after losing Kawhi, seeing at the two seed, and the Celtics are being good. Uh, <clears throat> a team that I like to see, which right now they're like five games back, they don't have a high chance of going into the playoffs, is the Chicago Bulls in there because Bulls are like a fan favorite team. A lot of pe- uh, people like them, and they have some – Decent players like Zach Levine who competed in the three-point contest, but they disappointed me so far in the season. I would expect them to do better, but the East isn't as bad as everyone thinks, I believe, with the Celtics, uh, Raptors, and Bucks, and then even the 76ers aren't a bad team, so hopefully that or the Bucks will make it far, and then maybe the Raptors, but I really think the Celtics are a sleeper team in the playoffs just because of their coach and then their young talent. Yeah, you see a team like the 76ers, they're 25-2 and two at home, and then on the road they're 9-19. and 19. That's just a really weird stat to see. They're dangerous at home. When, I feel like when they're at home and Bede's an all-star, Ben Simmons is an all-star, they just play, the fans are with them, but I just don't know what their deal is on the road. And it's just, I feel like the East is just as competitive as the West. You look at Boston, they're ridiculous with Jason Tatum, Kemba, Toronto, I'm honestly not sure about. I mean, they're still good. I just don't see they have a leader without Kawhi. So in the East, I'm taking probably the Celtics and the Bucks over everybody else. And then in the West, I would like to see a Los Angeles versus Los Angeles Western Conference Finals. That'd be really cool. But I would love to see the Nuggets sneak in there. But there's also teams like, obviously, Utah, who's dangerous. OKC in Houston like that. Yeah, and uh, when when the Nuggets face off against the Jazz, usually it doesn't go well for the Nuggets because they have a sort of rivalry just being close to each other. And last year, the Nuggets always had trouble playing the Jazz. I don't know what it is, but it seems like Jokic can't really match up too well with Gobert with him being like the defensive player of the year for the past couple of years. But the Lakers and the Nuggets is always a good game like it was a couple of about a week ago. That game went to uh, almost, I think it was in overtime. It was really exciting to watch, so hopefully we can see something like that in the Western Conference Finals. Definitely. Now we're going to switch it over to our UFC updates. Just want to talk about Conor McGregor's comeback a little bit. He knocked out Donald Cerrone in only 40 seconds in his comeback. Uh, that puts McGregor to 22-4 and four on his UFC official record, reminding you that that fight against Floyd Mayweather wasn't technically UFC, so it won't go on his card. Uh, It sounds like he's going to stay at the welterweight division, which is 156 to 170 pounds. He looked really dominant. I feel like he's super short, but he's stocky. Cerrone, I think, was five inches taller than him, but McGregor has a longer wingspan and a reach, which I feel like helps him a lot in that division. Some names that have called him out, Jorge Masvidal, Kamaru Usman, and Alexander Hernandez have all called him out. After the fight, though, he said he wants to just spend time with his family and relax and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see who he fights. I'd love to see a fight with Masvidal. And Usman has been saying some really like derogatory stuff to him on Twitter and stuff about Ireland and all that stuff. So I'd love to see that type of fight. Now, I agree with all these fights, and I agree that I'd like to see them. But one that isn't on here that I'd like to see again is a rematch between McGregor and Khabib. Because the first time around, that was a... Really good fight, and uh, Khabib is just a crazy like fighter, and him against McGregor would just be another like 
big UFC fight that brings in a lot of money and such. And I just want to see McGregor ultimately actually like finally be able to beat him one time and kind of cement a McGregor legacy because he's like a fan favorite and everyone loves him. But he's also hilarious, which makes it really interesting. Speaking on that rematch with Khabib, another rumor is Nate Diaz, the trilogy. Same thing as Khabib. Uh, McGregor lost both matches. Obviously, McGregor went back to beat Nate Diaz the second time. So there's been a rumor about the trilogy fight between those two, but also the same thing with Khabib. I feel like McGregor lost both, so he just went back. He trained a lot harder. It's just McGregor's never fought someone really like Khabib, like a pure wrestler. But I feel like it'd definitely be to McGregor's advantage if he makes Khabib go up to 156, 170, because he just can stay up on the ground more. His legs look the best they've ever been. His stamina looks really great. So that would set up a great fight. Now we're gonna talk about the John Jones versus Dominic Reyes fight. And a lot of people say that John Jones shouldn't have won. But looking at the stats, I could definitely see why they'd say that. Uh, John Jones landed 107 of his 170 total strikes. He had 104 significant strikes out of 166 and his takedowns, he had like two for nine. But Reyes landed 119 out of his strikes and uh, so that's 12 more than Jones. He landed 116 of significant strikes, which is also 12 more than Jones, but he had zero takes, takedowns. So John Jones did control the fight and looked way more conditioned, but Reyes got rigged. He destroyed Jones in the first three rounds, but somehow lost by a unanimous decision. Joe Rogan started an uh, interview how all night in Houston there were controversial decisions all night, and one judge in particular may might be banned from the UFC over this fight just from his decisions, but... Honestly, I believe that Dominic Reyes should have beat John Jones as much as I like to see John Jones winning. It's a really cool thing for him, but you can't deny facts and you have to be able to take some losses. So I believe that Reyes should have beat Jones. I even bet my dad right before the fight on a thing of gas, a gas tank, if I were to lose or if uh, Jones were to lose. And right after the fight, I was cheering. I was texting him, sending him a picture of all the stuff I wanted, and then to see that decision, I feel like it just kind of shocked everybody. All of the announcers were talking about it, still even being talked about right now. I feel like Reyes totally dominated, and just to base it on two rounds like that, it's not like those, I feel like the judges rated his takedowns way too high and gave him too many points. They weren't honestly really takedowns. Yeah, hit Reyes' butt hit the ground, but he got right back up, unlike some of the takedowns where they stay down. And this brings us over to our last topic, our essential question, and it's LeBron James's tributes to Kobe Bryant. Our essential question is, what are the most effective ways to produce social change? And I'll turn it over to my co-host for the answer. So for LeBron James' tribute to Kobe Bryant, we feel like him leading to social change, or yeah, talking about Kobe can lead to social change because it can make people's opinions or maybe make people's feelings like it can make people feel better or worse about the topic, but it was a very tragic topic. But just him um, talking about it in front of everyone kind of made people feel better, and it leads to social change to make people care more about the victims in it, or make people have like another like a different like more than a less of a biased opinion. But after more than three weeks since the tragic death of sports legend Kobe Bryant, we have seen tributes from every type of sport and popular events that are broadcasted. And I believe that the most effective ways to produce social change is through social media and capturing the hearts of the people affected. LeBron James' tribute to Kobe Bryant at the first game back at Staples Center will be played for the rest of the, for the rest of the time. And the promises he made to Kobe Bryant's legacy is very special. Not many, if any, athletes would have had the courage to stand up and give a speech, all from the heart and very professional. 
Social media has shown how much Kobe's legacy was way more than basketball and affected many celebrities. Social media has made Kobe an icon for years and years to come. But one thing that really makes me touch, like, feel for Kobe and all that is the stories I've heard about him. I've heard, I've heard several stories from other celebrities like Shaquille O'Neal and Jimmy Fallon who have told stories about Kobe and how like he affected their lives and just how even the death of other people affect everyone's lives. Like This is something that is going to be hard to get over for many people, especially the rest of the Bryant family and a lot of fans too because Kobe was an icon. He was an inspiration to a lot of people. Yeah, going back on the stories, there was a interview he had with one of the people and they asked the question, what's the most special part of your legacy? And instead of saying, oh, winning a championship, he said, seeing Gianna make her first basket. And I feel like that just shows kind of how the person he was. And yeah, I believe social media is the best way to produce social change. Just so many people are using social media now. And it's showing all these tributes you'd never see, uh, hearing a lot about the story. So I feel like social media is definitely a, an engine for social change. And it's not always got to be one person now going with the change. One person can make a whole entire change by themselves. They don't need a bunch of people doing a riot or something like that. Just due to all the publicity social media gets. So I feel like social media will be used to produce social change and get the public out there, get the word out there to the public for many and many years to come. Now, finally, we're going to rate all of our topics. Are they a W, which is a win, an L, which is a loss, or an N, which is neutral? And starting off with Super Bowl 54, what do you think? Uh, Super 54 matchup, it was a good one. I believe it was a W because it was actually a really entertaining Super Bowl to watch, and I just enjoyed every minute of it. And I'm just uh, happy that the Chiefs won and Patrick Mahomes got to uh, get his ring finally and prove the people wrong and break the Madden curse. So that was really cool. So big W for the Super Bowl. I think it's an L for Broncos fans, just because we're in the same division, showing like that, and it's going to be, that's a dynasty to come, but definitely a W overall for the Super Bowl. It's a really good Super Bowl. Now the All-Star game, I want to say N, neutral, because I feel like the All-Star weekend was an L, but definitely the All-Star game was a W, because just between the snubs and the dunk contest was rigged and all that kind of stuff, I feel like that part kind of brought it down, but the All-Star game itself was definitely a W. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Uh, I feel like the dunk contest alone, the performances of the athletes were W's, but the judges and the ratings and how it uh, ended up was an L. So that just really uh, kind of tears me in between the All-Star weekend being a W, L, or N, but I'm going to go with the N for sure. The All-Star game was great. I loved to watch it. And it was probably the most interesting one I've probably watched in like the past five years. So that was really cool. But the snubs is an L, but overall neutral for the All-Star game. Just one more thing, they should not be able to lose on a free throw like that. So they definitely got to change. I feel like that's something I would have never thought of if I was making that format. But So that part was an L. Now on the UFC updates, McGregor's comeback, definitely a W. Going to have a crazy fight, record-breaking fight, whoever it is, whoever he calls out or something. But John Jones, Reyes, fat L. Oh, I definitely agree. McGregor comeback, another fight after that. The next one's going to be headlines, news everywhere. That fight was a W. But overall... That John Jones Dominic Reyes fight kind of uh, messes up everyone's mojo and culture. It kind of ruins the vibe, so I'm going to give that an L. Overall, I'll give it an L, but I'm looking forward to who McGregor fights next. And lastly, our essential question and the tributes to Kobe Bryant, definite W. We've seen tributes, every sport, every celebrity, hearing the stories like that. And I feel like LeBron James has taken a huge role in this. 
And so for that, I give LeBron a W. Yeah, there's nothing much more to be said about it. I just got to agree with everything that's been going on. LeBron's tribute was awesome. All the other tributes and stories were great. So big W for LeBron James' tribute to Kobe Bryant. All right, that concludes our episode. Thank you guys for watching and listening. We'll see you guys next week.